I think this is true of the topic of the end times or the end of the world. People generally fall into two camps with this. Those who want to figure out what's going to happen and those who don't. One person who did want to know was the late Harold Camping. Maybe you heard of him. In early 2011, Camping, a radio preacher from California, famously predicted that the end of the world was imminent. He warned, May 21st, there's going to be a terrific earthquake, way bigger than anything the earth has ever experienced, and that'll be the beginning of Judgment Day. In fact, this uh, then 90-year-old preacher was so convinced of his message that he invested almost $100 million into an advertising campaign to spread the news. He believed that the numbers in scripture offered a hidden code that, if read correctly, would provide the exact date of the end times. And while his predictions were denounced and declared heretical by millions of other believers, he did gain national attention with hundreds of followers traveling the country in trucks and also purchasing ads. But then May 11 came and went, and spoiler alert, nothing happened. And instead of admitting he was wrong, though, Camping simply updated his theories, stating that October 21st, 2011, would be the backup date for his said predictions. Well... That day passed as well, and it would take camping a further five months to admit that he'd been wrong, then saying, we humbly acknowledge we were wrong about the timing. Now, camping's not the first person to incorrectly predict when the world will end, and he won't be the last. He tapped into the fascination that our culture has with the end of the world, from movies such as Armageddon, remember that, or Deep Impact, or TV shows like The Walking Dead or The Last of Us, to books like the Left Behind series or Cormac McCarthy's The Road, to video games like Fallout or Half-Life, to songs like R.E.M.'s The End of the World as We Know It or Prince's 1999, or perhaps just the constant news coverage about things like climate change. Well, just this week, I was sat at a dinner table with five other clergy from our diocese. I was on our annual clergy retreat in Flat Rock, North Carolina, with about a hundred other clergy folks, and the conversation turned to Israel and Gaza. And then, guess what? Questions quickly arose about whether or not this war was a sign of the end of times. Yes, people, including clergy, are fascinated by how the world will end. And for those who call themselves Christians, particularly interested in what the second coming of Jesus will be like. This fascination reminds me of a story I heard a while ago about some aliens who visited Earth. And these aliens arrived in peace, and surprisingly, they spoke fluent English. Well, obviously, all of the heads of government and leading religious leaders wanted to talk with the aliens. So a meeting was set up with these visitors. And when it was time for the Pope to speak, he asked, Do you know about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You mean JC, the alien said? Of course we're familiar with him. Isn't he the greatest ever? Every year he pays us a visit to make sure that we're doing okay. Well, surprised by this, the Pope responds, he comes every year. We've been waiting for his second coming for over 2,000 years. Well, the aliens, seeing that the Pope was becoming quite irate and upset at this, started to rationalize a bit. Well, he said, well, maybe he likes our chocolate better than he likes yours. To which the Pope replied, chocolates, what are you talking about? What does that have to do with anything? And the aliens said, well, when he first visited our planet, we gave him a huge box of chocolates. What did you guys do? Man. 
That's good, because at the first service, they didn't laugh at all. <laughs> Am I right, Kendall? Oh, it bombed. <laughs> it was risky to share that again, but there we go. Well, as the church year comes to an end, we also near the end of the Gospel of Matthew and the end of Jesus' time on earth. And as Jesus nears his death, resurrection, and ascension, we hear Jesus, not surprisingly, speaking about the end times. And in chapters 23, 24, and 25 of Matthew's Gospel, this is the recurring theme. Go home, read it yourself if you'd like to. Time and again, Jesus speaks about what to expect, giving warnings and also signs of what's going to happen. And yet he also repeatedly says that no one will know the time or the hour when he'll return. In fact, he'll come like a thief in the night, unexpectedly. Yes, Jesus wasn't unaware that the end of the world was something that people wanted to know about, whether it was Israelites 2,000 years ago or whether it was people sat here today. And he wants people to know that there's an end coming, that an end coming that's going to be sudden. But more importantly, he wants people to know that they need to be ready for his return, even if they don't know when it is. Because whether or not we see it firsthand, we're all face judgment before God one day. So let's take a closer look at our gospel reading and see what we can learn about being prepared for the end. It's Matthew chapter 25. If you want to pull out a Bible, Bible app, or use your scripture sheet, Matthew 25, beginning at verse 1. And what we have here is a parable. It's called the parable of the 10 virgins. Perhaps you've read it before. And in case you're wondering what a parable is, if you're not sure, it's a simple story used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. Uh, sometimes we talk about it as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Not a true story, not a story that tells you everything you necessarily need to know about the topic that it's covering, but it conveys the most important spiritual truths in memorable ways. I mean, who doesn't remember good stories, right? And so in this story, we have Jesus using a common occurrence. It's a wedding, and he's using this to illustrate his point. And much like today, this would have been an event that everyone could have related to. Who here has ever been to a wedding? All right, I'm getting almost 100%, except for those of you who are too shy to raise your hand. That's okay. <laughs> I imagine almost every one of us has been to a wedding, right? We can relate. They're a common occurrence in life. They were back then, too. However, as he often does in parables, he throws in a few surprises, unexpected things, things that would have made his hearers sit up and listen. And there are three surprises that stand out. So let's take a look at those. The first surprise is this. The girls all look the same. They look the same, but then we find out they're not. In our story of these 10 virgins, in other words, that means women of marriageable age who aren't yet married, we have 10 people who are seemingly pretty similar. Note, they're all cautious in their behavior. They all have lamps that are burning. They're all waiting for the wedding party, the bride and groom and their friends and family to arrive at the groom's house when they'll rush into the street and greet them. And they also all fall asleep while they're waiting, something that Jesus doesn't say is bad. It's just they all fall asleep. However, there's one big difference between them all, our first surprise. You see, five of these girls haven't brought enough oil for what may turn out to be a longer-than-expected parade from the bride's home to the groom's. And in verses 3 and 4, we read this. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, in Middle Eastern culture at that time, it would have been unthinkable for a young woman to go out in the dark without a lamp. The lamp would actually be used to avoid gossip, gossip about what she might be doing in the dark. Also, of course, it would be used for protection, no street lamps necessarily in those times. And finally, it would be to see where she was going. 
Therefore, it would make sense to carry some spare oil in case whatever she was doing took longer than she planned and she needed to keep her lamp lit. We might perhaps call it some extra virgin olive oil. <laughs> I wish my kids were here. Such a good dad joke. Ugh. Man, I missed out. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Ugh. Sometimes they just come to you like that. Now, it would be like us, imagine you go on a hike, and I'm sure there are some of you who love to hike. You go on a hike, and you're not quite sure how long it's gonna take, so you make sure you take extra water, you take extra snacks, or just in case something bad happens as well, you might pack those things. You're prepared for something to take longer than expected. But you know, five of the girls aren't prepared for what happens, and the bridegroom is delayed. We read this in verses five and six. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. You know, they don't have enough oil for this. They haven't planned for that. So now they've got to go search high and low wherever they can for some oil, which in turn makes them late for the wedding celebration, by which time the door is shut. The wedding's underway without them, and now it is too late. You see, while the 10 women all looked the same, there was a crucial difference, and that made all the difference. And it's a warning. As one commentator says, it tells us that it is possible to be often in church and in Christian company and yet be a stranger to the Holy Spirit. It is possible to have a lamp that looks good but has no oil in it. It is possible that one day Jesus may have to say, I never knew you. And you know, and all of that's I'm sure a surprise to the religious folk in Matthew's day hearing the story, and also perhaps to churchgoers today. You see, we like to create our own rules about who gets in and who doesn't get in. You know, one of those rules might be, oh, the people who attended church at least once a month, maybe two times a month, those folks get in, don't they? But ultimately, it's not up to us. We don't decide who gets in and who doesn't. Well, the second surprise is this. There are some things that you just can't borrow. Some things you just can't borrow. In verse eight of this parable, the five foolish young women try to borrow from the five who are prepared, saying this, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But they can't give them their oil because then they actually won't have enough for themselves. In verse nine, they say, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. No, they can't give away what they have because they won't have what they need then to actually fulfill what they need to do. You know, when I was younger, I was desperate to be a professional soccer player. I just I wanted to play for Liverpool Football Club for the rest of my life, and I wanted to be paid to do it, and I couldn't imagine anything better than that. But then, at the age of 11, my parents broke the somewhat surprising and fairly heartbreaking news to me that this was highly unlikely. <laughs> And they were right. Unfortunately, I didn't possess the skills of even the average 11-year-old when it came to soccer. And therefore, I would never make it as a professional soccer player. Yes, there are some things you just have to possess for yourself, where it's not possible to rely on someone else. And as John Stott puts it, holiness is one of those things. It cannot be traded. Stott writes this, if you are not what you profess to be, nobody else can help you or stand in for you. The bridegroom will come and then it will be too late. 
Friends, we're only deemed holy if we have experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ for ourselves. He's the only one who's able to make us holy. It's because of his death and resurrection alone, his willingness to pay the price for our sin upon the cross of Calvary that we can be saved. But this this saving grace needs to be a personal possession. It's non-transferable. And when the final day of judgment comes, no one will be able to deliver their brother, their sister, their son, their daughter, their grandparents, their friends, their work colleagues. No, each person is the arbiter of his or her own destiny. We can't rely on the faith of another. We also can't rely on our association with a church. Like I often say to my kids, just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a cheeseburger, right? Just because you go to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. And we certainly can't rely on the misplaced notion that we're citizens of a Christian nation. No, association is not enough. We must have a personal relationship with Jesus. Third surprise, last one. There are some times when it's just too late. There are some times when it's just too late. When the five foolish young women finally make it to the wedding celebration, they can't get in. In verses 10 through 12, we read this. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Yes, there are times in this life when it becomes too late to do something, where we miss our chance. Now, I remember back in high school, I was fascinated with politics. I love political science. Well, a trip came up where we were given the opportunity to go to the Houses of Parliament in London, to actually go inside on a tour, not just see the outsides. And I was super excited. But on the day of the trip, I forgot to set my alarm. And suddenly at Odark 30, uh, 30, our home phone rang, and it was the school teacher. And he was wondering where I was. They were sitting on the bus at school waiting for me. Well, so I threw on some clothes, I jumped in the car with my mom, we drove as quickly as we could the three miles across town to get to school, but the bus was gone. There was an appointment they had to keep for the tour at the Houses of Parliament. They couldn't wait any longer. And I was gutted. My chance to see the Houses of Parliament was gone. In fact, to this day, I've still never been inside them. But there came a point where they just couldn't wait any longer. You know, too late's a terrible verdict, isn't it? Perhaps the plane doors are shut and they can't be open. Or the exam's begun and you can't study anymore. Or the job's been lost and it's too late to try harder. Or the divorce has come through and there's no more chances for you to make amends. Well, when it comes to the end of times or the day of judgment, too late is a particularly terrifying verdict. We have to be ready. We don't want to miss this wedding celebration. You see, the bridegroom in the story represents Jesus, and the wedding is the place where Jesus is going to be. And so the alternative, being outside the doors of this party, well, that represents an eternity apart from God. Writing about this, the commentator David Wenham says, the essence of heaven is to be with the Lord forever. As Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, hell is, to quote Paul again, to be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified uh, by his holy people. Now, this is something that no one really wants to experience, at least no one who's thinking through this logically logically. They may say they don't care. They may say that it's not real. They may even say, well, hell, that sounds like where the party is, right? But when it actually happens, they're going to wish that they had gotten ready. 
It's a terrible place, devoid of any love, of any hope, of any joy, of any meaning whatsoever. A terrible place. So what are we to do? Well, we need to be ready. We need to be ready. It makes sense. We don't know the day or the hour when Jesus will return. And even if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, we don't know how long we have on this earth. And if there's one thing that you learn from sitting with people who are dying, as I often get to do, it's that time's short. Whether you get 18 years or you get 80 years, time is short. What does readiness look like, though? Well, it means knowing that we've experienced God's saving grace, that we're in a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're a child here. Maybe you're 10, 11, 12 years old, and you've always just thought, well, I just go to church with my parents. That's what I do, right? But there comes a point when you have to decide, do I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior for myself? I can't just rely on my parents' faith. We have to make a decision so that when we stand before the throne of God, we'll be dressed in holiness because we've responded to God's offer of grace. We've asked him to forgive us for the wrong that we've done, and we've put our complete trust in him, seeking to live lives for his glory, lives spent loving our neighbors and also loving our enemies. Just see the story of the sheep and the goats, which we'll come to in a couple of weeks. is a few verses on in this chapter. We need to live lives characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So are you ready? Are you living as a wise person? Are you living with the end in mind? And if you are, then for heaven's sake, please let this story motivate you to share the gospel with others. Because many of your school friends, your work colleagues, your family members, etc., they're heading in the wrong direction. Atheist Penn Gillette of the magician duo that I love, Penn and Teller, once said this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means share the gospel. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? (laughs) Challenging words from an atheist, right? Friends, let's live lives shaped by the knowledge that Jesus is coming back. Let's seek him and serve him in the power of his spirit, sharing the gospel with others also. And let's choose to be ready because he is coming back. And the wedding celebration is going to be a wonderful thing that you are not going to want to miss out on, nor are you going to want any of your friends or your family to miss it either. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come move among us today. Come by the power that you have. Give us that same power that we might be equipped ready to love you, ready to be ready, ready to share the gospel with others also, Lord God that we might be a people who truly live out the words that you have given us, the teachings that you have given us, and that one day when we do meet you, you will say, well done, good and faithful servant, not I do not know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.